Hey guys, this is episode 2 of the 1ADC podcast. We're the world's largest student-run consultancy for non-profits and social enterprises. And this episode is brought to you by the 1AE Degrees Consulting Branch from the University of Melbourne. Of course, always feel free to listen to our prologue for a better understanding of what this podcast aims to achieve, or visit our socials. There are timestamps below for quick and easy access to areas in the episode you wish to browse to, as well as the socials for this week's guests, so you can check out their profile whilst listening. Enough for me for now, let's get into this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the 180 Degrees Consulting Podcast. I'm your host for today, Kevin Dang. And in our second ever episode, we have the great privilege of bringing on Chai Ying, a current growth strategy manager at Airwallex and a Bachelor of Commerce graduate at the University of Melbourne. Chai, it's a pleasure to have you on today and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's great. It's great to be in this podcast. Thank you for inviting me along, Kevin, and really excited to be um, yeah, exploring kind of my journey from university into consulting and now into tech at AWOLX. Excellent. Uh, so we'll kick things off then. Uh, in this episode, I wanted to kind of dive into your perspective career pathways. Uh, but first things first, I think a great starting point would be to understand your role currently as a strategy manager and also the company you work for, because I'm pretty sure the majority of our audience base have a fragmented idea of what your role in strategy really comprises of. So Chai, in your own words, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what strategy consulting is, and also who or what is AOLX? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so maybe I'll kick it off with the strategy part of your question, because I know that's, you know, it took me a long time as well to figure what strategy is. And even today, like strategy at AOLX is also different to strategy at Bain. Um, but in a nutshell, I would say, for me, strategy is about two things. The first thing is helping people know where to play. And so a lot of this is focusing, prioritizing, and knowing what not to do as well. And the second part is how to win. So once you figure out, hey, this is what we should do, um, thinking through like, what are all the different parts of like people, processes, tech, um, capability that you actually need to do and make that happen. Um, for me, like strategy really boils down to those two things, how, where to play and how to win. So uh, AirWallex is a global fintech unicorn. We are Australia's like fastest growing unicorn. We found it in Melbourne, actually by a number of University of Melbourne alumni as well. And what we do is we help to empower businesses to operate anywhere, anytime. And the idea is actually quite a Melbourne-centric founding story. The owners was running a side hustle, which is a cafe right underneath the NAB building actually called Tuck & Co. Um, and they found like simple things like importing coffee cups really challenging and really expensive, especially for a full, small business. Um, those margins really mattered. And so I think from there, Airwallis is really founded on the belief that businesses are becoming borderless um, where as a business, you're not really confined by whether you're an Australian business or whether you're a US business. The reality is we're doing business globally now. And COVID was a great example of that, where even though we were confined to our countries, most, a lot of people actually bought first for the first time, bought online and also bought from overseas. And so that just shows like, yeah, selling and buying things is now, it's going to happen everywhere, not just confined to your local market. And so we're, we're making it super simple for businesses to be operating global from day one. Yes. So it works just usually is just known for being a fintech unicorn. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is a super great introduction into what AOLX is and also what strategy is. And so I find this introduction quite helpful for our audience members who aren't really familiar with the world of strategy itself. I mean, like when recruiters come into uni or come for networking events that are held on campus, there really isn't that booth that says, uh, come here to find out what a career strategy looks like, is there? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's um, I think the most common boots are like investment banks, mm-hmm. lawyers, maybe big four accounting firms. And I definitely didn't discover you know, strategy consulting until pretty late in my in my second year um, at university. But when I did, I think strategy again is like it's very it's very vague because it's just this core like problem solving skill set, um, and often often you either go into like strategy for a specific industry or strategy in a specific capability. So that's like cybersecurity strategy or there's like data strategy. Um, but what I really liked at Bain, for example, was that we were all generalists to start with. So we kind of learned the broad, we could go across all industries, all capabilities to really learn that core problem solving toolkit of how do you frame up a hard problem? How do you drive, have, an, have a hypothesis and then find ways to prove or disprove that use data um, and better understand like, is this the right direction for the business to be moving in? Wow, super in depth and a lot of jargon there as well. Yeah, and I wanted to dawn upon because you talked about your learning experiences at Bain, but I wanted to reflect and rewind on when you first learned about strategy and relate that to a quote I know you hold dearly, uh, one by Anatole France, that is, uh, to accomplish great things, we must not only act, but also dream not only plan, but also believe. And so sharing this quote, I wanted to ask about your dreams and career aspirations during your time at uni, because it's hard to believe when someone graduates high school and goes straight into uni, they walk into class thinking they'll become a career consultant or like an actual big strategy consultant one day as well. And so there are, however, these micro and macro changes in your life that lead to a consulting career. And so Chai, what career pathway did you want to pursue when you came into uni? And how did it kind of change over time from the experiences you picked up along the way? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great quote, Kevin. Thanks for picking that out. It's actually still one that holds very true today, even though I had that quote in um, my first year uni. So, um, so maybe we'll start with when I when when I was in year twelve, actually deciding on which university degree. And I think this shows a bit of my mindset about career tends to be. I like to keep as many doors open as possible. I think that's just like the guiding lamppost for many decisions. So when I was in year 12, even picking my course, like I just ruled out science, it's like a bit too niche, strike it out. Arts, like a bit too niche, strike it out. Um, I couldn't be a doctor, I was too squeamish. And so that just basically left commerce. I like, and engineering, I think it was also pretty, like it was a very clearly defined field. And it was like, no, strike it out. And commerce seemed like the most flexible degree there was. So for me, that was what was guiding my decision. Um, came to uni in my first year, I started off with a major in accounting and finance. Because like, that's what, I don't know, what majority of Asian kids do, do accounting and finance. Um, and then I remember at the end of my first year, my mom is an auditor. She used to work at KPMG and she just saw my, she just straight up told me, Chai, you make a terrible accountant. You make a terrible auditor because I'm not, I'm not very good with attention to detail. So... <laughs> I decided to take my mom's advice and uh, drop accounting and I wasn't really enjoying accounting either but I really enjoyed economics and I, re- I really enjoyed that big picture like framing up what a model looks like framing up what um, a mental model could look like and then so second year I did economics and finance um, and that's really where I started to dabble into consulting I think I stumbled across global consulting group at that point in time um, and actually I was going for an events officer role at at this pro bono consulting club called GCG because I'd done events in high school, was part of musicals and stuff like that. And so when I was applying for this events role, 
thinking they will ask me questions about what does a good event look like, they started asking me to size the light bulb market for Australia. And I was really confused by that question. Um, but somehow I made it through and then got to, that was really the starting point of actually learning about what consulting was and this whole new world that I hadn't known and started to do a lot more case comms, started to talk to more consultants and what they actually did and was really drawn to the variety they had. Again, playing true to the theme of keeping as many doors open as possible. And so I think in my third year, that's really when I doubled down and said, I'm actually, like, I don't really enjoy the finance side either because for me, at least finance is often like retrospective um, or like very far removed away from like what's actually driving financials. But I was really drawn towards the management side of things. So like, how do you set up, you know, global supply chain, for example? How do you set up peoples and teams to deliver on something? So I dropped finance in exchange for management in my third year. Um, so that's why I graduated with economics and management. And yeah, across across that period as well, I started to do more case comps. And I think that's really the turning point where I said, I want to keep doing this. This is really fun. Whether or not I kind of get paid to do it, that'd be a win. Um, but I think it's really by that third year and just being more involved in the consulting groups that um, set me up for a career in consulting. Well, that's three years of uni summarized down into a nice short five to 10 minute explanation. And what I loved about that is how you broke it up into different phases as well. Like that first year when no one knows what they're doing, they choose accounting finance. Uh, the second year <laughs> where you were like discovering yourself, but still not sure that consulting was a passion, keeping your doors open. And third year, when we speak about doors, is that uh, you're closing some doors, but also opening other doors as well. And kind of discovering like there's a lot of different career pathways out there and how uni is like this playing ground that teaches you that how diverse your career pathway can be like consulting is only one option but it's many options at the same time you've got strategy hr tech business management mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure you can speak on this really well as well yeah yeah exactly exactly that kevin i think that's you pointed it out right that my my journey to consulting was definitely an iterative one um and i would say to everyone like listening in it's it's really okay to change your mind you know whether it's in first second or third year uni i think that's definitely what i did where across that journey, I was like, will I be working at a big four as an accountant? Probably not. Will I be working in economics? Probably not. Will I be working in banking? Probably not. And it's okay um, to all things that. And I think that's a really big part of the uni experience is actually using that as testing ground, right? Like the biggest miss that university students, like biggest mistake that they make is actually just sitting back and not trying out firsthand at like all these networking events or events or internship opportunities to actually test firsthand, like, is this the right path for me? Because that becomes a lot harder once you start your job. Um, whereas the university, like, you can just do a two-week case comp and leave and have no strings attached. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's because you're speaking about starting a job and experiencing uni life itself, but we speak about these professional experiences, but even after graduating from the University of Melbourne and going on to work at Bain full-time and now at AOLX, there's still a part of you that lives on as being a student who likes to give back to others, especially the cohort of undergrads who are steering through commerce itself. I mean, you're an advisory consultant for MMI, uh, you've done training workshops for Impetus, you even appear on different panels and podcasts, such as the 180DC podcast in the moment right now, to share your lessons learned in consulting and the corporate workforce itself. And so these aren't things that are listed on your job description, but rather things you do in your extra time to ensure people like myself to join our listeners, have a better understanding of the opportunities available to them. So 
Ty, I wanted to ask you kind of a personal question. Uh, what is it about giving back and helping out other students that you hold in esteem so much? Uh, why is it that you go out of your way to be present at these events and these initiatives to give back to students on this faculty? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, Kevin. In all honesty, I've never actually been asked that question. <laughs> so um, I, I definitely see, you know, my, my, this is my way of paying it forward. In many ways, I, it's only possible to get to this career, this place in my career today because of all of the advice, time invested by a bunch of other people before me. So at GCG, I remember when I told someone, hey, I've got my first case interview they asked me like, do you know what a case interview is? Have you ever done one? I said like, no, this is my first one. He actually took me out, bought me dinner and taught me how to like do a case study, which is very, very different to a typical case study. And I think that honestly set up my career. And I said, if this guy who I didn't know really well went out of his way to mentor me and that completely changed my career trajectory, I need to do the same for others. Um, so in many ways, I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate about investing back in in uni students, in um, people trying to find like what's their life purpose and mission. And I definitely see like work is a big part, an important part of my life. A little bit of a self-confessed workaholic there. <laughs> I'm trying to work on that. But for me, like because work takes up, you know, 50 to 60% of our waking time, for me, it's really important that that work I do is meaningful and impactful, right? It's For me, it's not, work isn't just a way to um, make money and then go and have the rest of my life. I think in many ways, like work, me is tied to my purpose and I want to make sure um, that's something that I'm, I'm consciously thinking about spending my time on so that's why I'm passionate about helping people find their why helping them find and find a career that actually aligns with that why and consulting may or may not be that um, but not just like kind of drifting where the opportunities take you um, or just for the money it's super great like you talk about these people who are like giving back in itself and I feel like the perfect word for it is mentors and mentors are great people who give you insight into the industry that uni doesn't really do really well, like uh, pairs for the workforce and provide us advice on how to job search, how to find that career is right for you. You can go to the career center and you get some advice, but no one's going to tell you, oh, what does a day in a life consultant look like? And that's what I feel that mentors are for. And they're there to like, just confine in you in case like, you do go down the, the wrong path, not the wrong pathway, but the pathway you might, not consider is right for you and they're there to explain yeah. like how you explained earlier that it's not that you don't make career changes when your career really hasn't started right yeah and so in my eyes i see you've gone and done a lot in a sense and how you kind of given back into us or invested back into students in general is your way of mentoring and so i wanted to also ask you something about your uni days and the three years you were actually in commerce and it's fair to say you were very involved in the scene. Uh, you, like I mentioned, you were the head of events for GCG. Uh, you also did your fair share of case competitions, you even won VCOM's case competition in 2015. And you pushed boundaries even further in 2016, where you won Capgemini's Business and Management Consulting Award from the AFR Top 100 Future Leaders. And so it's easy to highlight these great memories and times you've had during your journey at your degree. But with every highlight, I feel like there are hardships and commerce kids do at some point go through that mid-course crisis or they second doubt themselves quite often, like myself. And I know you as well, Chai, you've probably been through that. And so I'll bounce this one back to you. Uh, can you draw upon a memory or time where you had to take a step back to question yourself on whether or not you wanted to continue doing commerce? And it would probably be that daunting stage of a commerce kid's career, applying for hundreds of different internships and back programs and then getting rejected by them, seeing that email that just commences with, with 
we regret to inform you that. Yeah, I think I, I definitely relate to that mid-course crisis question. <laughs> I think that's the challenge with um, a commerce degree. You know, both it's really flexible, but at the same time, like, there's lots of options. It's really hard to understand. You know, when you apply for a role in assurance at a big four, like, what is assurance really? Um, and so, yeah, I think for me, that moment happened towards the end of my first year, or maybe early second year. Um, and that was during like the vacation period, right? When you're in your penultimate year and you have to apply to vacation programs. And I remember uh, I applied to maybe like at least 30 plus programs to like all the big four, all the banks and all of it got rejected. Not even, not even an interview came through. And I remember being really crushed at the end of that going like, man, I thought I had a good wham and like, why isn't this enough? And then that was actually the point where I started looking at like doing more extracurricular stuff at uni. That's when I started looking at GCG, for example. Um, and it really like changed my perspective to say, you know, just applying with a blank resume that says I did these 12 subjects is not enough, maybe more than 12 subjects. Um, but it really needed to stand out that I needed to get a bit more like work experience and opportunity and I think in many ways in my first and second year, I had kind of the mindset of like beggars can't be choosers in many ways. Like I definitely said yes to lots of different things and like just like every moment, whether it's like random case competitions that wasn't started new in the consulting club or whether it was like a management consulting subject um, or like startup events I would go to and just learn from people and just like absorb like a sponge. And I think that really like snowballed in the end. Um, and so the turning point for me at that stage was off the back of um, the Melbourne Uni subject called Management Consulting. Um, our client was actually Deloitte as part of that program. And at the end of that, at the end of that kind of subject, kind of the, the main partner that we were working with offered me an interview. Uh, and I remember like everyone on my case team at that point was, was really keen. Like they knew that was maybe an outcome. And I think I was just really focused on doing a good job. And that merit just stood out for itself, right? Um, and so that, I think, just having that one opportunity to open the doors then created the snowball effect of then SPP, which actually came out of um, the BCom case comp. So in parallel, not not because of the MC subject, but that just happened, like, was just putting myself out there. And then SPP surprise prize at the very end of that comp was, hey, you get to intern with us. And I was like, great, I want that. Uh, and then that really... Like having those two things then open the door to Bain. And so, yeah, I very much encourage everyone who's going through that mid-course crisis and like struggling with job applications to, yeah, to kind of um, kind of try, try new things and like find any way you can to build your resume, even if that first step might look a bit like, is that really a good use of your time? Uh, I know I'm definitely in the I'm definitely in a bit of a privileged background where I know not every uni student has the privilege of like, throwing themselves into all these extracurriculars. I understand that some people are still working part-time to support themselves, to support their families. So yeah, it's definitely a tricky tricky one there. But I also think from the consulting, you know, being on the other side of the recruitment, actually looking at resumes, um, part-time work is actually like also valued. Uh, and I know specifically at Bain, we were looking at someone who had worked uh, at a cafe as a manager for five to six years. You could clearly tell like she was doing that to because she needed to um, support support herself and her family financially. And so being involved in extracurricular was not an option. And that actually stood out, right? That commitment to her job and how she's not just like barista, but you could see her progression from barista to manager. And, and then we kind of said, 
she looks committed. She looks like she can create results. Like, let's have a chat with her. Um, so don't see your part-time work as like, ideally, the more relevant it can be, the better it is. But there's also scenarios where you can drive impact, even in the part-time jobs that you're in now, that you can frame it up um, to support your applications. Wow. Uh, first takeaway, I'm going to become a manager of a coffee store from that. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, it's been super fantastic how much you've covered your journey in this conversation because it goes beyond what people see on your LinkedIn, right? Uh, we speak about these large organizations and flashy titles, but uh, what we don't see on Chai's LinkedIn is the effortful nights he spent working on herself, uh, tailoring her resumes and cover letters, and also seeking ways to build upon her expertise. Uh, both paid and non-paid in itself. And so when you work on yourself and your experiences, and Chaya, you can weigh in on this, uh, I feel like big companies and great titles will come. Like we talk about the first year when she applied for all those internships and didn't get anything, but the waiting game is important and like not everything's kind of handed to you in a sense. Uh, you have to kind of work really hard for it. That's how the world really is. And so we walk through Chaya's journey. We're seeing that. We're seeing her... I guess, midway improving herself and like that end game where those internships came and that role SPP came and then Bain came itself. And it relates back to the snowball effect that you mentioned as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's it's definitely not a journey. <laughs> you go from like, you jump straight into some super elite prestige job, which I know at Melbourne Uni Commerce, there are definitely like prestige titles to certain things. I think for me, like my, my stance is that you can make, you can learn a lot from every job. And I think, especially when you're starting out, you need to be open to those opportunities. And it's more about making sure um, you're learning at every point rather than rather than being a bit too picky because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so being able to differentiate the highs and lows of your career, it's been quite insightful to converse about how much of a steep hill your career has been so far in strategy. But we're actually almost out of time for today. So before we sign off, uh, Chai, I want to ask you one final thing that I found quite interesting when we were talking off camera. And I wanted you to share with our audience. And that is, can you recall your first day at Bain? Um, so my first day at Bain, I remember I remember being really nervous. Our first day was actually in Sydney. So they flew a bunch of us down for like a two-week onboarding um, across the whole start class in Australia. And then they put us up in a really, in a really nice hotel. And I was like, oh, what a what a you know the typical travel consulting life already living it up um, but most of all like the mini bar was free that was like <laughs> so, but but um over to the more interesting parts is um when we showed up in the office I think one of the like the two things that surprised me um, that I'd like to share the first one was that most of the people there actually came out from a four to five to six year degree like double degree honors PhD um I was probably the only one there who came out of a three-year bachelor of commerce degree from Melbourne Uni. Most people were like Monash, like Comlaw types of backgrounds. And so I think immediately, like when I, when I learned that, I was kicking myself because I was like, man, Chai, why did I rush to start work? Um, why didn't I just like take a bit more time to learn things? Because I think in hindsight, I would have liked to do, I would have liked to study a bit more of the tech IT coding side of things before starting. Cause like the moment I started at Bay and like carving out the time to do that well um, was really tricky. And who knows, I might have made different choices and not gone into consulting if I, if I had a, a, a degree in commerce and IT. Uh, I think the second, yeah, there's no rush, especially for Melbourne Uni. Three years is really short. 
And I find that three years is not enough to really discover what you want to do. So if you're tossing up whether to do further study, to do an honours, to do a master's, just know that the chances of you when you apply for a job, you're competing against someone with four to five years experience is pretty high. So if you want to take the extra time to learn a bit more, to figure out a bit more about what you want to do, take that time. Because once you start, it's really, really hard to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the second thing that that jumped out to me at Bain was that everyone there was effectively an extrovert. And they were a very strong group of extroverts. So out of the 13 of us who started, um, 11 of them were extroverts. And I was an introvert. And so I definitely, probably I felt that, that imposter syndrome thing to go into overdrive. I think that that feeling of, man, I'm so different to everyone here in the room. Like, how did I make the cut? Um, do I do I really deserve to be here? Like all of those thoughts started playing in my mind. And I think what I found like later on is actually this, the, the introvert side of me was actually a strength in a few different work and client scenarios. Um, an example of that is, you know, and, and for those who don't know what extroverts and introverts are, you know, extroverts means you get energy from interacting with people, tend to be more outspoken and loud, uh, and better expressing yourself whereas introverts maybe get drained from interacting with people and takes us a bit of time to process feelings and explain ourselves a little bit more. Um, but an interesting example would actually worked out for me in consulting and, you know, the stereotype of consulting, yeah, it is quite an extrovert facing job. You talk a lot with clients, you workshop a lot with them. It's a very collaborative role by nature because our jobs are advisors, right? At the end of the day, you can't advise, influence and, and convince someone like it's really hard to be a consultant. Um, I would say what I've learned is that this introvert, this introvert part of my personality actually became a strength over time. And it just looks a little bit different to my colleagues. Um, one specific example of that is in one of my cases, my team like title gave me a fake, gave me a title or nickname as the silent assassin. <laughs> um, and they called me the silent assassin because I would go into a client meeting with, with a difficult person who definitely didn't want to do what we wanted them to do. Uh, but my approach would be really different because I would, generally like ask lots of questions, listen to their problems before like jumping in with my thoughts or solutions. And then before you know it, we would leave with kind of a win-win situation. And that's happened a few times where they go. So my team would just say, they don't know they're being assassinated, but they are (laughs) silently. Um, So yeah, so I'd be like, I'd like to encourage anyone who's listening to this, who's a bit more introverted and not sure if like a strategy or consulting roles for them. There are definitely ways where your introversion or your introvert personality can be your strength as well, um, used in the right context. So, yeah. Yeah, we always speak about this classic imposter syndrome and it's great how much advice and insights and tips you had for combating uh, imposter syndrome as well. And of course, anyone who starts an MVP probably goes through this. And so with that, all the advice and insights that you've given, it's a wonderful way to conclude this episode. Uh, Chai, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your great words of wisdom and advice for our audience members. Yeah, not a problem, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast and really excited to see where, where this podcast go. I think it's definitely something I wish I had at university. Um, definitely be listening to it on my one hour commute into Melbourne Uni, back and forth. <laughs> Yeah, lovely to lovely to be part of this.